Well, we're starting a new series today. Um, we're, it's going to be Raising Your Kids in the Gospel. This is the first time in five years that I've ever taught on raising kids is because I didn't know what the heck I was doing. But I found out that the gospel works in all areas of life. That the gospel isn't just for salvation and going to heaven one day. The good news of Jesus Christ is for living out the kingdom of God. And we just seen that a couple weeks ago as we went through kingdom-focused marriages. Marriages that are focused on the kingdom of God. So that you have a, a, true, a true love story in, in life. And last week we just, we, we just uh, preached some good old-fashioned gospel. And uh, it was in your face, hard. And it was awesome. It was awesome. I could, as you could see last week, I could talk about that forever. But today we're gonna we're transitioning, we're application of of how we 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 live out the gospel, how we live out the new creation realities, how we how we engage our everyday life with the truth of Jesus Christ. And when we talk about kids, I I can just imagine this is the scenario for most people because it's our scenario, and maybe it's different for you, but it's a noisy house. It's a noisy house that isn't quite as clean as you'd like it to be. The, the laundry is piled up. And then you dis- discover the night before school starts on Monday morning that you're out of bread to make any sandwiches for the lunches. And that your son comes and tells you that two weeks ago he had a project for science that's due tomorrow. This is a scenario of parenting. Your schedule for the next two weeks looks impossible. And once again, you have to remanage the budget because the expenses are different, are more than this month. And to top it off, and this is the biggest, to top it off, no one seems to be satisfied. And you feel exhausted and unappreciated. Welcome to parenting. What we need as parents is we need, we need big picture parenting. We have to have a big picture because most parents live moment to moment. And because we live moment to moment, we're easily swayed by worldly influences. We need big, uh, the big picture. We need a big picture worldview. We need a big picture worldview that can explain, guide, and motivate our parenting. What is our motives in parenting? It's more we're just crisis management rather than having a goal, having, a, having an end. You need a big picture parenting worldview that not only makes sense of the task but also gives you an approach on how to reach the destination. So what is the big picture parenting worldview? Get ready. The gospel. The gospel. When a parent, with what, when, when we parent with what the gospel says about God, you, your world, your children, and God's grace, you're not only approaching, approaching parenting in a brand new ways, but you carry the burden of parenting completely differently. See, most people are owner parents. 
You won't come out and say this, but, but really this is the view of most parents. It's very subconscious. We need to look, this is, being an owner parent is the root of most of the confusion and dysfunction as parents. And this is basically what it means. These children belong to me so I can parent them the way I feel fit. As a Christian, we don't have this choice because this is not true. And as a non-Christian, this is not true. These kids do not belong to you. In the busyness and press of responsibilities and crazy schedule, we lose sight of the big picture. We look at our children as belonging to us, and we end up doing things that are short-sighted, not helpful in the long run, more reactive than goal-oriented and outside God's great, big, wise plan. Ownership parenting is not overtly selfish. It's not abusive or destructive. It just leads us down a road in the opposite direction that God, than God would want us to go, than God's way of parenting. Ownership parenting is worldly way of parenting. In Psalms 139, verse 13, it says, For you formed my inward parts, you woven me to me in my mother's wombs. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows very well. Psalms 127, verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage, a gift from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Your kids don't belong to you. They belong to the one that created them. Good parenting begins with this radical, humbling recognition that our children are don't actually belong to us. Rather, every child in every home, everywhere on the globe, in or out of the womb, belongs to the one who created them. They belong to God. That means that his plan for parents is that we should be his agents in the lives of these ones that he has been formed in his image. You as a parent are an agent of change. For these ones that he, has, has, he formed, he created in his image, and he has entrusted to our care. Just like everything in this earth we're called to do, we're called to be what? Stewards. We are not owners of anything. We are stewards of what God has so graciously given. But the thing of it is, uh, in the gospel, in Jesus Christ, there is something even greater than being a steward. There's something greater than just taking care of what God has given. And this is the true calling of every single parent. Grandparent, what influencer in in kids' lives. This is our calling. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin on our behalf, to be sent on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the perfect word for what God has called parents to be. You are an ambassador. You are an ambassador for God. You are an ambassador for Christ Jesus. An ambassador 
is to faithfully represent the message, methods, and character of the leader who has sent him. They are not free to think, speak, or act independently. Everything they do, every decision they make, and every one of their interactions must be shaped by this one question. What is the will of the one who sent me? Parenting is ambassadorship work from beginning to end. Unfortunately, if our parenting is influenced by the world systems, we miss the mark of this ambassadorship. And to miss the mark is what? Sin. Right? And sin makes us more natural owners than ambassadors. Sin makes us all more demanding than patient. Sin causes us to find punishment more natural than grace. Think about that. Sin causes all of us to find punishment more natural than grace. Sin makes it easier to see sin, weakness, and failure in others than ourselves. Than in ourselves. Sin makes it easier to talk at people than to listen. Here's what this means the only thing, the only thing that keeps you from God's way of parenting, this ambassador call, is ourself. It's us getting in the way of what God wants to do through us. Let's look at a few scenarios to see the difference between ownership and ambassadorship. Ownership, our identity. What is our identity? Identity is where you look to find your sense of who you are. Owner parents look to get their identity, meaning, purpose, and inner sense and well-being from their children. Their children tend to be saddled with the burden of their parents' self-worth. This is devastating. Parenting is, is a miserable place to look for your identity. For no other reason than the fact that every parent, parent centers. You understand that? Until your child comes into the realization of Jesus Christ and their eyes are open to their true identity in Christ and their, their redemption found in Jesus Christ and are filled with the Spirit of God. I don't care how cute, how cuddly, how perfect you think your kid is, they're a sinner that needs to be saved by grace. Children come into this world with brokenness inside them that causes them to push against authority, wisdom, and the guidance of their parents, just like we do to God. When you look to your child for identity, you will take all your child's failures personally. Do you know how many parents take their, their children's failures, their children's failures and their children's success as either success or failure on their, their, their behalf? How does an ambassador parent look at identity? An ambassador looks at a, a parent comes to, with the approach of parenting as a representative of the... What the heck? I'm trying to do it from memory instead of read it. 
Parents who approach parenting as a representative come to it with a deep sense of identity and and are motivated by the meaning and purpose, by meaning and purpose. They don't need to get purpose from their children because they have already gotten it from the one they represent, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the difference between ownership parents is ownership parents are trying to get their identity from the children, and an ambassador parent already found their identity in Christ Jesus, so they don't have to try to get something from their, what their kids, what their kids are able to give. By already finding your identity in Christ, you are freed from coming to your children hoping you will get from your children what they are unable to provide. They are free from asking family life to give them life. Think about that. Because they have found the source of life and their hearts are at rest. See, this is again coming to God and receiving from God and then living your life from that abundance of what you received from God. The problem is, is in all of our relationships, we take. We take from people. And the problem, most people are running on empty. Your kids don't have to give. Your husband doesn't have to give. Your parents don't have to give. And we're taking, 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 taking. And we wonder why we're so dysfunctional. We're supposed to be receiving from God and not need anything from anyone else. And be able to give from the abundance of what we received from God. Because we already have our identity. We're already secure. We don't, we don't need the affirmations of, of other people to make us feel successful, to make us feel worthy, to make us feel loved. Because we are overflowing with love himself. This is a huge difference. Huge difference. This frees you from self. Because parenting with selflessness and sacrifice is what ambassadorial parenting requires. How about work? Work. What you define as work you have, what you have been, is what you've been called to do. Ownership parents think it's their job to turn their kids into something. They have a vision of what they want their kids to be, and they work as parents to use their authority, time, money, and energy to form their children into what they, con- they have they convinced they should be. Conceived. My goodness. I need to just read it instead of... Well, think about this. When you own your kids, you, you, you have a vision for your kids... You think what they should be like, and you try to form them and mold them into what you think they should be. Owner parents tend to think that they have the power, that if they use the power and personal resources to mold their kids into the children they envision. But the problem is, is this puts unnecessary burden upon the children, trying to live up to their parents' expectations. So what's the alternative? The alternative, ambassadors understand that they are never anything more than representatives of someone greater, wiser, and more powerful, and more gracious than they are. Knowing that their daily work is not to turn their children into anything, they understand that they have no power to change the child without God's wisdom. They they understand that they have no power to change the child, and without God's wisdom, they wouldn't even know what is best for their children. Who told you the vision that you have for your kid is the correct one? Who told you that that's the one that, that God 
predestined them as he formed them in their mother's womb to be. Who gave you the vision of, and the standard of what success is? Most of the time, it's the world. Most of the time, it's, our, it's, it's influences of other families, other parents. Most of the time, we, we, we raise our kids to do the same thing that we did that we're miserable do, at doing. You got to get a good job. Well, mom and dad has a good job, and they're miserable. That's not the answer to life. There's nothing wrong with having a good job, but that's not the, that's, that's not the answer to life. That doesn't make you happy. Who, give you, who has given you your vision? See, ambassador parents are not, they are not motivated by a vision of what they want their children to be, but by the potential of what Jesus, by his grace, could cause their children to be. To realize, to open the door and let their children know that you can be anything that God has called you to be. The doors are wide open. And in God's grace, in God's ability, you can do whatever he has called you to be. Let's find out what that is. How about our success? What you define success to be. Ownership parents tend to be working toward a specific checklist of indicators to tell them that they are successful parents. Things like academia, see, I don't, academic performance, athletic achievements, music ability, and social likability become the markers of how well they are doing at parenting. These are not unimportant, but they are not indicators of good parenting. Good parents do not always produce good kids. Good parents do not always produce good kids. You can be the best parent in the world. You can be God himself and still have your kids misrepresent you and not live up to the potential that they were created to be. If God can't control his kids... What makes you think you control your kids? You should constantly ask yourself where you get the set of values that tell you whether you have good kids or not. You are not a failure if your kids don't turn out the way you hoped. Why? Because this is what success actually looks like as an ambassador. Ambassadors have come to the scary truth that they have no power to produce anything in their children. Successful parenting is not first about what you've produced. It's rather about what you have done. It's not about the outcome. It's about what you've done as a parent. We're talking about you as a successful parent. Some parents were terrible parents, and their kids were successful. We're talking about what... Is the vision, what, what is the mark of a successful parent? It's what you do. It's not the outcome. 
Successful parenting is not about achieving goals that you have no power to produce, but about being a usable and faithful tool in the hand of the one who alone is able to produce good things in your children. God is the one that brings the produce. All we are is a tool and an ambassador for him. Reputation. What tells people who you are and what you're about? Ownership parents, look at it this way. Ownership parents turn their children into trophies. This is why so many parents struggle with the crazy phases their children go through as they're growing up. Oh, he's just tired. He didn't get a nap today. No, he's just a little brat. I went through it. Those crazy phases that your kids do. I don't know why he won't stop sucking his thumb. I don't know. Don't know. Why they do what they do. I don't know why he runs up to strangers and kicks them in the shins. I don't, I don't know. I don't know why. But we take it as a mark on ourselves as parents. And we struggle with that. We, we, they're so concerned about what, what the craziest says about them and not their children. They're not concerned about what their children is going through, what's causing this in their children. They're more concerned about how this makes them look. This places a great burden on kids carrying their parents' reputation and the sting of disappointment and embarrassment. Owner parents tend to get angry and disappointed, not because their children aren't walking in their true identity in God, but because whatever they have done has brought hassle and embarrassment to them. Ambassadors, ambassador parents have come to the understanding that parenting sinners will expose them to public misunderstanding and embarrassment somehow, some way. They have come to accept the humbling, humbling messiness of the job God has called them to do. And they understand that if their children grow and mature in life and godliness, they will become not their trophies, but the trophy of the, of the Savior. God is the one who is at work. God is the one who gets the glory. And the parents are just grateful that they are being, they're able to be tools used in his hand. Your kids are not yours. They're God's. The great calling. Parenting is the great calling. And we're going to look at some scenarios. There's nothing, listen to me, there is nothing that is more important in your life than being one of God's tools to heal a human soul. Parenting is a great calling. Let's listen to some parenting scenarios. You're frustrated because for some reason on this particular Tuesday night, your two-year-old daughter has decided that she will not, under any circumstance, pressure, or threat, eat her peas. You're not asking her to eat poison, they're peas. Silly little round green vegetable orbs. What in the world is in her mind right now? Why do these little tasks have to be so hard? You can't believe it. Another note from his teacher. This is the fifth note in three weeks, and he's only in kindergarten. 
For some reason, he won't stop talking in class during the moments when he's not supposed to be talking. He talks when the teacher talks. He talks when the other students are trying to talk. He talks with his mouth full during lunchtime. He talks his way through his nap time. He talks when you're trying to talk to him about talking too much. And you thought that finally sending him to school would simplify your life. It's been one of those days. You're convinced it's a sibling conspiracy against you. It feels as if your children have plotted together to make this day particularly difficult. It feels as if you're against the legion of rebellious ones. You've lost your patience too many times. You've said and done embarrassing things. You raised your voice and made obvious threats, but nothing seems to help. You lost control of your own house and silently and with a bit of guilt. You wish for the simple days of before. Or you've just had one of the best conversations you've ever had as a parent. It's hard to imagine that an 11-year-old could be so deep, so philosophical. You were caught off guard. You had no idea that in this passing moment, time would stop and profound considerations would be on the table. You don't feel very prepared. You stumbled over your words. You hope what you said was helpful, understandable, and wise. You hope the way you said things would open up more conversations. You just wish an alarm would have gone off telling you that things were about to get very serious. She seems embarrassed by you. It really does hurt. She used to run into your arms for comfort and love. She loved to hold your hand as she skipped her way through the mall. She would dress up in your clothes and pretend to be you. She'd get a stool in the kitchen and help you cook dinner. She would run to you with great big smile and when she won the ribbons at the gymnastics. Now she wants you to drop her off at the mall and ask you, please don't come in. She doesn't really want you to pick her up from school. When you do, she wants you to park down the street. She doesn't bring many friends home. And when she does, they hide in her room, out of sight and separate from you. You want her to run up to you and bury her head in your chest and say, I love you, Mommy, like she used to. But you don't think she will. You've taken them to a movie. It's the one thing you all enjoy doing as a family. It was billed as a fun family comedy, but it's been filled with sexual innuendo from beginning to end. You didn't catch the last part of the movie because your mind had wandered away thinking of what you would say, how you would handle what your children were exposed to. How much did they understand? <clears throat> if you talk to them, will you just be opening a can of worms? Is it time to have a very frank talk about sex? Are you ready? Are they ready? How will you do? When will you do it? You wish you had a script to follow. As you carry the final bit of his stuff up to his dorm room, you tell yourself that he's a good kid, but you really wonder if he is. You look at him, and you don't see a university student. You see a leaky-nosed, scuffed-kneed six-year-old begging to spend the night with a friend. He did okay in high school. No drugs, sex, or jail time. 
He was determined to go away to college, somewhere new, somewhere different from home. You worry that his dome, dorm has double the students that were in his high school. The girls walking around the hallways of his co-ed dorm make you uncomfortable. You want to grab him, throw him in, in his pile of stuff into the car and get out of there as fast as you can before you lose him completely. He tells you not to worry that he will be okay, but it doesn't help. You pray with him before you leave, but you're still a wreck. You ask him to call later, but you don't think he will. She finished college. She's come back home while she still uh, looks for a job. You thought that your parenting days were over, but they're clearly not. The state of her room, her choice of friends, and the way she spends her time make you wonder if she's ready to be a full-fledged adult. You have mixed emotions. You loved having your house and your time back again, but you missed being a parent. Now she's back, and it's different. You know she still needs you, that she'll need guidance as she makes her launch, but you're not sure she realizes it. Every night you try to go to bed and sleep at the normal time, but you never really get to sleep until you hear the door and know she's home safe. You're tired of being a parent and thankful that she's home all at the same time. You're haunted by regret. You don't want to be, but you are. Not about anything big, but about all those little moments of failure. You remember the little promises you made that you got too busy to keep. The moments when you yelled when you should have been listening. You remember how hard it was to have children and be fair and how often you failed. You remember falling asleep at recitals and hope they never knew. You remember making ridiculous threats and hope they don't remember as well as you do. You remember th that time you stopped the van, made them all get out, and told them that they, could, they wouldn't let them back in until they'd get along with each other. You remember it was easier to announce the law than to give grace. You'd like to be free of regret, but you're not. What unifies all these parenting scenarios? They're all about calling. And this is one of the most significant calling that could ever be laid in the lap of a human being. Forming a human soul. If we took time to think about the full ramifications of what it means to be a parent, it should make us want to run. If you knew all the things that it would take to be a parent, all the things that you'd go through, and it was all laid out to you at one time, you would choose not to be a parent. But God has graced each one of us to be parents. And he has given us the wisdom, the tools, and the abilities to represent him well. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Verse 20. In the future, when your children ask you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, the decrees and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell them, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised an oath to our ancestors. Here is the value that God places on parenting. Your work as a parent has great value because God has designed that you would be the principal, consistent, and faithful tool in his hands for the purpose of creating God consciousness and God submission in your children. Your kids will never be or do what God has created them for if they lack God consciousness. The church... We can equip you, we can assist you, but we cannot replace you. The government, they'll protect your rights, but they will not replace you. The schools, at the very best, will support you, but it never replaces you. You are the tool that God has chosen to form and mold and create a sense of God consciousness in them. This is your high calling. The most important thing a child could ever learn in this is the existence, character, and plan of God. If they know this fact, it will alter the way they understand and interpret every other fact in life. Children who do not acknowledge God will act as if they are God and resist the help and guidance that God has provided for them from their parents. At some point, children are going to wonder why they have the rules that they have, why they have been told to believe certain things, and who puts you in charge anyways? So what do we tell them? What do most parents tell them? Do it because I said so. Or do it or you're going to get punished. And these explanations and responses work as long as your children fear you. But the time is coming when they're not going to fear you anymore. When he'll be just a little taller than you. When you can't look in their eye anymore. When they're stronger than you. When the spoon breaks on their butt and they laugh. There is a much better way than fear. 
the gospel. The gospel. The gospel is a better way than fear. Let's look at Deuteronomy again. In the future, when your sons ask you, what is the meaning of these stipulations, these decrees and laws that the Lord has commanded you? Tell them we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, in Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land. He promised an oath to our ancestors. We all understand, if you've been here, that, that, that the shadow of the Old Testament are glimpses of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of what Jesus Christ has done. And we understand that, 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 that slavery, that bondage that the, the, the country of Israel was in represents sin. They were, we were slaves to sin just like they were slaves to Pharaoh. We were, had a taskmaster called sin, just like they had the taskmaster called the Egyptians. And God delivered them out. They brought them out to bring them in. And just like Jesus Christ has delivered us from our slave master, and he has brought us out to bring us in. See, not only do we root our beliefs in the existence of God, but also the things that he has done. So when your child questions the rules, you can either puff up your chest and tell them they better obey or else, or you can choose to talk about a loving Redeemer who not only created them and gave them a destiny, but also died for them, giving them his identity so that they could know and do what is right. See, the, the Israelites were to tell the kids, the reason why we follow the laws of God and believe the way that we do is because of what God has done for us. He delivered us. He rescued us. He brought us into the promised land. He gave us homes we did not build, vineyards we did not plant. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. God has done all these great things for us. And the reason why we do things the way God tells us to do them is because he wants the best for us. When your child wonders about what is right and what is wrong, don't threaten them with the law. Woo them with the sweet music of the grace of God. When they struggle with what God says is right, don't talk of God as the just judge, but as a helper and friend who meets us in our weakness with forgiveness, with wisdom and strength. Blow your kids away with God's patience, his mercy, his love. Talk to them about how he willingly exercises his power for our help, benefit, and rescue. Go beyond enforcing your authority and point to God's authority. Go beyond pointing to his authority and pointing them to his grace. Church, God has called you 
and filled you with his spirit so that you would be ready to introduce his glory and grace to your children. And that's exactly what we're going to be learning to do in the coming weeks. Today we just laid a foundation. We just, we, we just we have a paradigm shift. We're, we're, we're taking our eyes off being ownership parents. We're taking our eyes off the, the way that we've always thought was the best way to parent. And we're, we're, we're refocusing them on Christ. That we find our identity. See, it's the same thing over and over again in every area of life. You find your identity in Jesus. You, you find your meaning in your true self in Christ. You become whole in Christ. You receive from his abundant grace. You receive his love, his wisdom, his ability, his strength. And from that union with God, you parent. You are an ambassador of God. And when you do that, you're no longer doing it in your own strength. You, you no longer have to worry about failure. You want to know why? Because of failure, if you, it's what you do, not, not the results. You get to a place where you are trusting God with your children. Most people are so strict with their kids, and that strictness actually represents their lack of faith in God. You are the agent that introduces you are the agent that introduces Christ to your children. You are the agent that, that is representing God's character and his motives and his ability. You are the agent that God has chosen to mold your children's soul. And this is totally different. Totally different. As you can see, we're we're even though we're a grace church, even though we believe in grace, we still love the law. We love fear. We love punishment rather than grace and mercy. And grace and mercy is what has won your hearts. And grace and mercy will win your children's hearts. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy that, that, is, that has manifested itself in the flesh called Jesus. He is grace. He is faith. He is love. He is you. If we've seen Jesus, we've seen the Father. Heavenly Father, this, this morning, we ask that the Holy Spirit would just renew our minds to become dependent on you, to become dependent on your spirit, to become dependent on receiving wisdom, receiving knowledge, receiving strength, receiving love from you. Take the burden off our shoulders this morning that we have to turn our kids into anything, but that we just have to introduce them to the one that through him, they can do anything. Help us to trust you, Lord, with our kids. Help us to do it your way as an ambassador for you and give up ownership and our rights. We lay them down this morning. 
And Father, we just look forward to, to, the, to the transition that you're going to make in our lives as we move forward in this study. We love you, we praise you, and we worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.